Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Welcome to Islam with Tom It's been a while since I've done an episode And the main reason being I've just come back to the UK from Japan So I haven't really had the chance to get around to it So I was very excited to get back in the game And today's topic came to mind through some interactions I'd seen Through some brothers in the group chats and also from one of the, the guests so the podcast is split into two halves first of all addressing the question of what is the point the purpose of men and secondly trying to discuss how we can fulfill and achieve this purpose so I'm joined once again by brother Iskander who joined me for the episode on stoicism also the episode on pornography and then a new guest brother Said, who was a, a friend from university so we are recording this episode on the day of Ashura so at the end that's why we're mentioning breaking our fast and any notes or links I'll be posting below in the episode notes inshallah So what I wanted to talk about for today's episode, I think I was going to title it, What is the Point in Men? <laughs> uh, I wanted just to start by sharing like my, my experiences. So prior to becoming a Muslim, uh, I had this question in mind, actually, what is the point in men? Because I was reading this, this not really feminist literature, but things just like the Guardian newspaper, which tend to be more feminist and um, and something happened actually there was an event so my school was an all boys school and uh my experiences were just with boys but one time there was a a girls equivalent school and uh one of the girls actually posted an article to the guardian and it made it onto the front page complaining about sexism and she referenced some of the things that boys from my school had said so that was kind of like a low point in my thinking that Mm. okay boys this is what boys are like and not knowing any girls really at that time and uh, just yeah. reading, you know, feminist literature, my opinion was of girls was so much higher than of boys. So I, I started to agree really like if there was a way women could figure out how to reproduce yeah. by themselves and really what is the point in, in men. Until you met a real girl and then, you know, your opinion changed. Or... Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. So actually like from and... that. That's interesting. Did you, Tom, did you, um, did you feel like your, so I guess your viewpoint changed from listening to women or while you were in the boys school, did you sort of already sort of detect that or some of the locker room talk or some of the jokes or the sexist jokes and stuff was all sort of like uh, a bit untowards, I, I don't know, like, or was it just like, oh, this is, this is just what it's like. It's normal. No alarm bells. Yeah. So it started, uh, like you say, in the locker room talk that even before being, Muslim, whatever, it didn't sit well with me that I never really partook in it. That I even listening to it, like the guys would talk about teachers or yeah. girlfriends and things. Even I, even then, it made me uncomfortable. So I, I yeah, I didn't like the the way I saw the relationship between boys and girls. And then around the time I went to uni, lad culture became like a huge thing in terms of like uh, yeah. newspapers reporting on it, like. Uh, banter and lad culture there's lots of things and even when I started uni 
like some of the the chants that people would do in Freshers' Week and all these, you'd hear about the rugby team have done this and these kind of things. That, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, my opinion of men was at an all-time low. <laughs> I mean, you do have a point. I mean, if you're faced with that kind of stuff, I mean, who who wouldn't be disappointed uh, in men, right? Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, go ahead. Oh, you know, I was just going to say, like, I'll be honest, I think what, if I think back to my school days, like, I, I guess I never, it, it's weird, like, I, so I, I guess I, I when, uh, me growing up, I didn't, I didn't really have, like, a, a male figure in my life, right, single parent background, me and my sister and my mum, so just growing up, growing up around women, I go to, I went to, like, a standard state school in London, mixed school, um, and everything you mentioned that would have happened in your school would have happened in mine, Um and it's just, that was just so normal. You know, like even like, like whenever, like, I guess we, we heard the word sexist, it was almost, it was always under the framework of like angry feminists. Right. Um, and it wasn't sort of like a, it, it, there was nothing sort of legitimate to it. Like I guess, guess growing up, but then when I got like, sort of when I started reading feminist literature, which was during sort of like sixth form, a lot of what I had experienced and the harm I'd seen, especially like in, in even in my personal life, that men had um, done, right? Um, mm-hmm. All of that started to make sense. Um, and then so, if, yeah, so then my opinion of men started to go, okay, yeah, we we really aren't a good breed at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, no, and I totally get it, totally get it. Yeah, so I don't know if it's kind of, you had a similar experience. Well, I didn't really read feminist yeah. literature as such, you know, um, but I do notice the same attitudes kind of uh, being, uh, you know, uh, spread to us by our elementary school teachers. Um, most of them were mi- women and they they would uh, let us know that, you know, boys were naturally uh, aggressive or, you know, uh, they abuse women. Well, not... Not literally like that, but I, I, I don't know, maybe they had bad experiences with men, but they would let you know about these things and sort of gradually you sort of absorb these kind of kinds of ideas about men generally. And um, yeah, I don't know if that's, you know, a common experience, but that's how I experienced it. Yeah, I don't know if I had that experience. I don't remember ever getting influence from adults on these kind of things uh, uh, I remember primary school, uh, the one memory that sticks out in terms of even thinking about gender was, because uh, my primary school actually had a kind of uh, Christian background, uh, but uh, the only memory I have was maybe around 10, because until that point, I never really thought about gender, gender roles. I remember like a, it was a kind of Christian-themed discussion, and they asked us to split into groups, boys and girls. And the discussion was, like, what can boys do that girls can't? And what can girls do that boys can't? So girls, obviously, said, oh, we can have babies. Boys, it was things like, oh, we can pee standing up. But I don't really remember what the point of the discussion was. I think it was just something along the lines of, like, God loves you all equally. That kind of typical yeah. modern-day Christianity about God's love. So at that age, I wasn't really thinking about gender. Then going to an all-boys school, yeah, it only really struck me the way boys were started to talk about girls at that time but I don't remember any kind of adult influence where I've heard about reading about it that it happens nowadays where 
like class people talk about classrooms and schools being unsuited for boys that they discourage you know physical activities movement which yeah. boys tend to prefer so i don't know i guess if, if we're talking about lots of adult influence i think with me especially at so primary can't can't remember anything sort of influencing me in that regard perhaps i was just too young to even register what was going on um but in in secondary school for sure i think it it wasn't more that what was said but rather i think the inaction right would make you sort of um i I guess you sort of internalize that oh perhaps what's going on really isn't that bad or some anything to shout about so things like truly like things like slut shaming um and even you know i have one one memory that sticks out is you know boys quite casually groping or sexual it's sexual assault it plain and simple is what it is Mm. in like lunch cues and stuff and teachers would spot it and be like hey stop that not this is an offense that could get you excluded right it was never that serious um and i guess you sort of you know you you take from adults perhaps even you know subconsciously you go oh well the adult isn't saying anything about it right yeah yeah. it must not be that bad um, exactly. Obviously, the more you grow up, the, the, and, and you sort of start to um, start to sort of you know read and educate yourself, and you said, okay, they they were definitely in the wrong to not to not make this a very serious offense and have more of a conversation around it. Uh, those conversations that were just never had. Exactly. Actually, the the example you mentioned it, it's very recognizable. Um, we had a uh, guy in class, and it was he was like. Uh, he would always, you know, enter class and there was one girl who was always his target and he would always slap her behind, you know. And um, nobody said anything about it. The, the teachers didn't, the classmates didn't, we just, you know, we just ignored it. But, you know, in hindsight, it's really, you know, not it's, done. It, but, it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? When you think about it, yeah. it's like, goodness it's me. Crazy. How did you, like, how do you not, how do you not, like, make this, you know, all of this, all of this garbage about anti-bullying and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how is this? How is this? Not, how is that not a, a level above? Right, it's a crime. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway. But yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I never had those experiences being at an old boys' school. There was nothing, obviously, anything physical, but it was all just talk. So this was when the teachers obviously were not there. So in the lessons, obviously, nothing happened. Then outside the lessons, that was when guys would just be talking you know how it is but uh, nothing like that there are some incidents where like teachers would overhear boys saying something or they'd say something about other teachers and they'd pull them up and I remember some assemblies where the the teachers were talking to us but yeah the guys never took it seriously and the teachers never really pushed it too hard about sexism or anything like this so yeah I I wonder if anything's changed I mean it's been a while like I I left school 10 years ago yeah yeah but yeah so i wouldn't know what the dynamic is like at the minute but i'd hope that given the increase of, of conversations even in mainstream media that it's it's more of something that's included in school policy um, yeah but back in the days man it was yeah it was sort of like not a thing but the the one danger that i've like you said i've not been in schools for 10 years but reading about schools in america other places that it can go too far that boys are not allowed to express themselves at all like uh in primary schools like boys wrestling with each other is not being permitted this so boys are made to feel like lesser in some ways so that's the danger that 
taking it too far and not letting boys do anything to express themselves. But obviously, mm. uh, you need to find the appropriate ways of, of doing that. So that's basically why I wanted to, to do this episode. So once we establish, first of all, why boys are necessary and what's the point of boys, then how, how do we express our, our masculinity yeah. or whatever? So, yeah, yeah. so carrying on from my story, like uh, during uni, when I started to like, interact more with, with girls, Mm. even though they obviously weren't perfect I didn't know any of the girls well enough that I'd see like the kind of darker side of of like femininity that maybe you'd see at high schools with girls bullying other girls and the kind of gossip culture and this kind of thing I never really saw any of that because we were all kind of adults at this point but uh, yeah. yeah I felt myself associating more with with girls or more kind of feminine boys so like I remember being an, an English major that one of my classes was drama and the teacher the drama teacher was expressing like how to physically show masculinity on stage and femininity and like the way you sit and stuff and I saw myself thinking maybe I should kind of make an effort to be more feminine like because masculinity was kind of about taking up as much space as you could so and it was at that time that like words like man spreading and things like this like mm. men dominating spaces so I thought oh, I need to make myself small and I need to like grow up my hair and even thinking that I needed to like kind of paint my nails to show that I'm different from these kind of jocks and these right. monsters lads, so. uh... <laughs> right right yeah now that makes sense but it, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know yeah I'm... university was a weird one for me I think I so I I sort of going in like I said like I started like genuinely like reading feminist literature and I was enjoying it fam. but just because I don't know why I was, I was able to sort of apply what I was learning right it also sort of misses me now but just different strands of feminism I was able to sort of apply all of that I was learning and just and just think about my own life right and I was just like oh so oh right we're like wow none, none of this is my mom's fault right mm. everything in our life etc um various men have let her down um and then you know i hear stories about you know from my mum, um and you know things like gen things that like gender roles started to make sense to me that like, oh it's because of like our this idea of of gender roles that sort of really harmed my mom in the first place like she wasn't able to properly educate herself or you know, something as small as understand how to pay bills and stuff when she, you know, became like when she was on her own and whatnot, because of, that was a man's job, um, things like that. So I know I, I come into university, so I, I studied politics mm. um, and I just fit in like a glove because it was politics. Right. And um, everybody sort of thought the way I thought. And we also sort of discussed and sort of educated each other. Um, but at the same time, I was also I was living in halls. And um, the hall I was living in, massive lad culture. Um, and so for me, not associating myself with them was my way of sort of say, saying that I'm different to these guys, right? Um, and just, yeah, just, I don't know, just, just chilling with like-minded people. Um, mm. But then that sort of in the, I think it's moving on just a year later, that sort of started presenting problems um, in and of itself which i guess we'll get to but yeah that that was just the, just my first year that, that i remember okay so it's kind of yeah. do you have any comments well i i can't really recognize myself in either of your stories because mm -hmm. 
I think uh, growing up, um, I saw my dad as, a, as more of a role model than my mother. And um, uh, obviously, there were arguments. And most of the times I agreed with my father more than my mother. So I, I don't know, I, I just thought that if I grew up and became like my father, everything would be all right, you know, so I don't really have this kind of this siding with the feminine side of, of the family, you know, this, this kind of idea. So I can't relate. But, you know, it's interesting to have different experiences, I guess. Well, I, yeah. I don't want to stereotype, but I want to point something out. So it's kind of your background is that you're, you're Chinese, ethnic, yeah. your family. Yeah. And one thing that I found doing kind of brief research is that East Asian cultures, even like in the UK and America, so Chinese, uh, Southeast Asian, uh, the rates of divorce are much lower, uh, typically, and uh, the family units seem to be much stronger, the community is much stronger, so uh, possibly that, maybe you, I don't know, if your family was like a kind of typical Chinese family, if there's such a thing, but uh, in these cultures where like the family unit is stronger than uh it's also associated that like the rates of uh crime from these groups is lower and the academics performance is higher so the the kids from these asian backgrounds whose families tend to stay together their parents tend to be together have possibly bigger families or whatever stronger sense of community then the the benefits are clear in terms of the 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 children's way through life so higher academic scores less crime so uh, yeah maybe i'm throwing you into that group but that seems to be a trend from what i've read that uh, yeah traditional I, families have i think it's a bit of a complex uh, topic to discuss right now i don't know if we want to go into that yeah um, though i do understand the 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 image or the research that has been done however i think there is a bit of a model minority myth going on so i don't know if it's totally accurate but all right yeah then we won't yeah. touch on that so back to um, to my experience so that was at uni just before becoming muslim then after becoming muslim basically my approach didn't change my approach was still the mm. i was putting yes. girls on a pedestal that are oh, girls are kind of superior so it, it yep. kind of didn't kind of uh suit me well or fit the, the idea that men had to be the, the caretakers of women that I couldn't really figure it out that from what I was observing oh, women are smarter than men women are less dangerous than men then why, why are men and women don't need men in the sense that now these days they can get jobs and uh, whatever they can buy houses and own property so I even though I was, I was a Muslim at that time I still didn't really understand this uh, yeah. this ruling from Allah that men are slightly above women in terms of uh, hierarchy i guess yeah. you call it i yeah bro I'm, I'm laughing because only because i i agree with 100 with everything you're saying it was exactly the same experience for me unless unless a guy told me that they think the way i think right and this is so sort of it's going to come across as so conceited because i guess to an extent it was um unless they told me yep i i agree with everything you say or your your viewpoints and you know on on women women's rights etc um if they if they didn't tell me that then i i just didn't th i just thought less of you <laughs> yeah I, I just i'm just like yeah we're not really going to get on mate um and um yeah so i definitely so when i started so i like i should i should caveat that i was saying my first year i wasn't practicing at all um i guess the way I, the way i grew up is 
Um, and then this is the thing, like, again, to, to, to just put context into that. So my my mom became a single mother at 22, 23 with two toddlers. Well, I was I was not even one years old. Um, so to put the weight of the world on her to not only edu- have us educated, but also sort of have sound Islamic knowledge that really even she didn't have, right? I guess the strength of scholarship in where where she grew up in Bangladesh wasn't great. So they they sort of learned the bare minimum um, and she just passed down the bare minimum onto us. And so I'm growing up saying, oh, you need to fear Allah, but I wasn't told why. Um, and I wasn't taught to love Allah, right? Um, and again, why? Um, and it's like, you, you should pray five times a day and you should learn how to read the Quran. And once you were done, that's that. So I I start I learned how to read the Quran at like eight nine years old, and then I haven't read it since. So once I got to twenty one years old, I had to relearn how to read the Quran. It was it was like that. So in my first year, obviously now I'm completely free. I'm away from home. I'm away from London, and I just and I started hanging out with non Muslims, um, and everything they were telling me, I had nothing to say against it because I didn't know. So mm. so for me, it's just going well. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I like that this. I'm saying that I'm choosing to be Muslim, but I don't even. I don't know Islam, um, and so I guess that first year I stopped calling myself a Muslim, um, and you know th- things transpired where I think it was my my second year or just the, near the end of the first semester of my second year where I stumbled into the prayer room. Like I did, I actually didn't know where it was, and I started. Tom, you remember when you go into the prayer room and the the entrance is on the right? There's yeah. a but there's a door directly in front of you. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I was trying to push that door open. <laughs> and then one of the brothers came in from, from the right side. He goes, bro, it's in here. Went, ah, right. Didn't see it. Um, so so yeah, so I just stumbled in and and yeah, that was that was my sort of first experience of being around Muslims, or like or a lot of Muslims who are actually sort of focused on their deen. Um, and that's when I started practicing. And but I took all of that with me into into my sort of journey into Islam, I guess, um, again, which sort of presented its own problems, I think. So, brother, it's kind of your also a, a revert, brother. Yeah. Similar story. So, becoming Muslim, did what you see of, in like, on the, on the news, kind of, you see uh, in Muslim societies, the way men dominate women typically in Muslim society, did that have any kind of disturbance for the way you felt about islam or did you not think about it what no well well actually i think i was kind of a traditional sexist um more (laughs) yeah um and i think that when whenever i saw islam i was like okay this makes sense Uh, rather you know this stereotypical image rather than okay i disagree with this so yeah i mean it's totally from the opposite perspective i guess yeah interesting but yeah it, it has to do with um with uh, the relationship between my mother and my father, obviously. Uh, but it's because uh, my parents sort of split up when I was uh, a young child and I went with my with my mother. But uh, she kept whispering things to me about my father in my ear, you know, he's a bad man and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but whenever I met my father, he was actually exemplary and, um, you know, uh, very moral and very a very principled man. So I was like, why, why is my mother lying about my father all, all the time, you know? And that's when I started, you know, getting these negative thoughts about women in general. And um, 
perhaps that's when I sort of started agreeing with the idea, okay, women should be kept in check and, you know, uh, men should be, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, governing women. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Islam made me more mellow in that aspect rather than the other way around. Uh, you know, um, yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you shared that, man, because that's that's really, really interesting. It's it's crazy, yeah. isn't it? How like you're growing up, how your life experience sort of, sort of really shapes um, your outlook. Yeah. Gender, gender relations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't escape it because, you know, it's it's all you know, really. So. Mm. Yeah, so at this point, like I was saying, I was Muslim and I was reading what Allah was saying about how men have have this uh responsibility over women and still not really and then actually i fell into a kind of trap of uh going into islamic feminist literature and there's some i would yeah i would happily say some dangerous ideas out there about like sisters or even brothers finding ways to take to, to kind of escape from this ruling or you know create ways to say actually it doesn't actually mean this it means this or it's only for this uh, situation and it doesn't apply now these kind of ideas I was starting to uh, to read even going as far as there was a, a book about Islam and homosexuality because that was the other thing I struggled with growing up in the, the UK kind of liberal background that uh, Islam is saying homosexuality is wrong but I've been told well not maybe all my life but in recent years that it's a natural thing it's a healthy thing how can the two fit together. I, I picked up a book on Islam and homosexuality and it did the same thing. It's kind of twisted the stories and said, actually, Allah is not saying this, he's saying this. So some kind of, yeah, risky stuff. Mm -hmm. That stuff is, exists, I know of. So I tell yeah. people just to be careful. But the thing that changed it, and I always use his name, maybe people get bored of listening to me talk about him, but a guy called Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know him, Saeed, but I've, I've heard of him. I mean, I've, yeah. I've listened to him. I've listened to him, yeah. So he does talks and he, he tears down the idea of toxic masculinities because that's something he gets accused of in the media. That was the first I heard of him reading on like The Guardian and they're, they're accusing him saying, oh, he's encouraging young white men to be violent and all of this, and the yeah. far right neo-Nazis, all of these things. But when I actually listened to him and his, his argument, he was talking about how how dangerous this idea of toxic masculinity is that you're telling boys that their their nature is somehow wrong or dangerous and needs to be controlled and using medication in schools to get boys to focus and try and cut down their energy and their physicality. So it was, looking, it was the first time I'd ever heard that perspective and it really made sense. And then he talks about how if you channel these masculine, kind of typical masculine tendencies in the correct way, how beneficial it is for everyone, not just for, mm, mm. for the man himself, but also for his, his whatever, his wife, if he has one, his, uh, his family, his career. Totally. Some of these masculine qualities, like this aggression or whatever, can benefit you in your career as well in terms of being successful. So it was the first time I'd ever had it framed to me that masculinity and testosterone or these things are actually healthy and positive. And it was really eye-opening for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess the way I I viewed I guess the way I viewed masculinity just just especially especially in that time I it it's weird like I never I never tried to actively suppress any sort of natural you know 
I guess, mas masculine, so I'm going to say air quotes, tendencies that I would have had. Um, but I, I tried to, I guess, channel that. I say channel, like there was never any active thought behind it. It was just, I used it in a way to um, try to be alpha in that sense towards men hmm. for women and in turn sort of baiting myself that's not a word but i can't can't think of anything at this at this minute mm -hmm. um toward to, to women right um right. and so that yeah that you know what damn yeah that sort of sums up my my time in isolate currently <laughs> especially the first year um and i sort of really really alienated a lot of people um i'm talking about like guys um and of course, of course, problems. And that was, that's just down to, you know, just doing things without proper knowledge or wisdom. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I just, yeah. So I don't think, I don't think I ever tried to downplay my, my sort of natural tendencies towards masculinity um, in terms of say the idea of toxic masculinity, right? I was, everything that I'd learned about it, I tried to be conscious of the so things like um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't speak over women mm. um, or like if I was asked to lead something, I would defer to a woman mm. only. Um, or like things like pushing for women to have leadership positions and, um, and, and, and things like that. Um, and so, and, and also like, yeah, stuff like manspreading and mansplaining. And I was always so conscious of those things um, to this day. I don't think my intent was wrong. Mm -hmm. I guess I think the way I went about things was and that that's what I regret but what I was I guess what I was trying to I guess what I was trying to sort of achieve or create um yeah I, I, I'd like to think my intentions were noble but yeah just things didn't pan out the way I hoped they would yeah on that I think things like me too and these kind of things they're not inherently a, a bad thing that it is important to raise awareness because often men are not aware of the impact they're having uh, with their actions or behavior or whatever so it is important to hear the female perspective and it is important for men to be careful uh, of their actions and what they're saying but uh, yeah there is a limit to that because the the danger of things now is that like it's coming to a situation where men and women can't function together like in an office environment because I had some statistic like 23 out of 24 complaints to, to HR are made by women about male co-workers. So like women becoming overly sensitive and uh, not being able to deal with like men's behavior, like like men making jokes, like teasing each other is the way men interact. So you make a joke about someone and he responds with a joke. But women are taught that oh this is actually an aggressive act if he if he makes a comment about your appearance or something he's actually being aggressive and trying to dominate you and when in fact this is just the way men naturally socialize with each other so there is some danger in teaching women that oh men are inherently aggressive and dangerous and trying to use you so there has to be some some balance as well I, yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know I, I just think I mean, let's just yeah let's like, if we stick to just like an office environment so like, i i work in tech um i've worked in an office obviously currently just working from home but even then like the way i interact with men and women con like consciously i make sure it's different mm -hmm. um 
and I don't find it like it, it's not exhausting for me to do that. Um, like, gen, like you know. But one thing I will say though, this like, it I don't really build a very close close rapport with women in my office, only because I guess I just never take it to that that level of banter where you're almost sort of playing with the boundaries and seeing what they're comfortable with or what they're uncomfortable with. Um, I always keep it at like a just like this neutral safe level where I end up sort of having the same kind of rapport with all of my female colleagues but I guess that's never stopped me from getting work done hmm. um, and but obviously with, with my male colleagues it, it, it's different you do sort of build a rapport faster because it exactly is as you said you sort of banter with each other um, and yeah you, you can take you can take like ribbing here and there um, but yeah, um, so I I don't I I personally don't know if that's such a problem only because I guess I haven't sort of experienced that. Um, yeah, the only danger in what you're saying is so presumably you would have it in your mind that if you're in a position of power, for example, like if you're looking for someone who you're going to promote and you know that you're going to be have more of an intimate relationship with them, uh, have more meetings, maybe traveling, business trips, that mm. subconsciously maybe like a a man in the position of power would choose to promote another man because he knows actually if I promote, well, maybe he doesn't know, but it, it's kind of already there that he doesn't I, have I this, this relationship with the female stuff. So there is a danger that I think it's useful for women to learn that, like you say, it's useful for men to know the line and things like this, but useful for women to learn like what is aggressive behavior from a man and what is just being friendly. So like girls who've grown up with, with uh, father figures and also brothers tend to be better at handling boys whereas girls that grow up without a father figure or without brothers in the house men in the house tend to be more afraid and these are the kind of people that would make a complaint if a, a boy makes a joke towards her thinking it's aggressive so i think that's mm -hmm. where it comes into figuring out uh what is the point of of men so one of the roles is as a, a husband and a father figure and uh, so many statistics about single parent households and how the children of single parent households statistically fare worse in education and uh, careers and other things that the importance of just being present as a father and as a husband. So I don't know if who wants to introduce like Islamically or from what your experience is, what is the, the real purpose of men? Well, before we do that, I just wanted to make a comment about what brother Saeed said earlier. Oh. How it's interesting how um uh you know your childhood experiences you know influence the way you think later in life and uh, i think that really ties in well with what you said about um how fathers can be models of behavior or um can teach daughters or sons about how men should be or rather ought to be uh, later in life and if that role model isn't present, then, you know, it's easy to um, not know what to do with men in general, you know. And, um, yeah, I thought it just kind of rhymed well with each other. So that's There is a statistic relating to that. I don't have the exact figure, but yeah. uh, the, the chances of a woman being raped are significantly higher if she comes from a, a fatherless household. So it comes into that whole, like, yeah, not understanding what is healthy male behavior and what is unhealthy mm. so putting them herself in dangerous positions not knowing when when she has to say something or do something so yes yeah, it's, it's very can be a dangerous thing for a woman to not understand male behavior what is 
normal what is not normal and how to stand up to a man or interact with a man that's what I mean by yeah. girls who've grown up with brothers they know how to stand their ground more with their brothers or whatever often so they tend to be uh, much more able to deal with male co-workers or more likely to get promoted these kind of things so yeah yeah so, yeah I, I guess yeah oh no sorry sorry Tom. yeah no I was just like to, to, to answer your question um I guess for me, I guess if I, this is the thing. Too, so I know you you watched my video, right? So it's kind of just to sort of uh, brief you. So I posted yeah. a video recently on Instagram, which I'd I'd since taken down only because I felt like, well, everybody who's like I've got the views that that I got, right? Um, I was like, you know, no point just keeping it on there. So I had taken it down. But yeah. um, what 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 I was touching upon really was why what I sort of when I sort of started thinking about what my own purpose is, not just as a Muslim, but as a man, um, and how that change of perspective not only changed sort of, um, it really it really helped my life only because sort of it sort of changed my du'as, I saw things started to happen for me. And I started finding contentment in essentially being of service to the women in my life, which are my mom and my sister currently. Um, so that was right. essentially the gist of of the video. Um, so so, but but one thing I, I I will say is, what I my my view of this, I I don't I haven't read a hadith or commentary from scholars. Um, it's more sort of I read the ayah that men are custodians of women. Allah has given us a sense of Allah has given us a you know a, a platform of leadership. Right, but then right. I in turn look at leadership not to to be served, but the, I I feel like leadership to should be to serve, uh, and so, and so that I that that's what I took from from those words of Allah. Um, you know, may Allah forgive me. I should probably also read the the tafsir of those ayahs. Right. Um, but so say so, so yeah, Tom. So to answer your, answer your question, I so I get to so, so me obviously growing up. And this is this is me, and then this is what my mum is also sort of teaching me as well. That there there are very distinct male and female sort of gender roles. Like my mum wouldn't let me do many chores. That that those would be my sister's job because that that's not my remit as a man. Um, so so things like that. And I sort of very quickly unlearned that when I started going to like when I was in sixth form or going to university. Um, and I think about my father. And he was very stereotypical whenever he was around, which wasn't very much. Like I haven't seen him since I was maybe 12, 13. But prior to that, you'd see him the odd six months later or whatever for like a day. Um, and whenever he'd be there, it's literally sat on a sofa watching TV, waiting like hand on foot, like a, like hand on, foot on the sofa, waiting to be served by my mom who's cooking. And, and like that, that was him because, oh, he came and he's, he's just he's provided that one day right got right. paid here's my salary do what you need to do for the house um and so i was like oh cool that must be what a marriage is um yeah. and that's and I, again I, I go like i look at cousins who sort of had men to have their fathers in their in their houses and you know growing up i'll be honest like it was wild to me that a man would live in your house guys just like never had that um so right. Yeah, so and I just see, yeah, their fathers served a very similar remit, which was they go to work, they earn, they give their, they sort of allow 
free access to their wives to their sort of salary and the wives would maintain the home so that's, that was like so i didn't really have like a an islamic viewpoint this was just this is natural this is how it happens um right. and then my that that sort of changed but not from an islamic viewpoint but from a liberal feminist framework um where i sort of started to dissect that and go no this is wrong things should be 50 50 and a woman's role is exactly the same as the man's role there aren't any differences um and obviously the, the, the more you sort of um delve into the islamic teachings um that is also very problematic uh but but yeah that that's sort of my um intro into the topic i guess yeah can i add something to that i, I mean um what you said about the 50 50 thing this is not islamic but this is um what happened in china during the communist reign so what happens was uh, what happened was uh, mao zedong he said women hold up half the sky and so what was expected of women now was to for them to do the earnings uh, you know the the uh, traditional man uh, men's jobs as well as the traditional women's jobs uh, such as caring for the family cleaning up the house uh, taking care of the children on top of the day job they had to do now and um and that's so unfair in my opinion right yeah. um because now they had to do basically uh, be the man and the woman and the man yeah. just had to be the man you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah um no, i thought yeah no i see that i see that 100 like yeah that was very much that was very much me me growing up as well like when my father was around he just got to do what what men get to do and my mom not only had to like go out do the groceries but come in and make sure the house was like fine and the whole time he's at home and he's doing jack all um i thought i was normal he's a man he doesn't he shouldn't have to do that um yeah. but yeah yeah i hear that exactly yeah so um, yeah. i think we should define then islamically what is the role of a man from from uh, allah's words in the quran but also from the the sunnah and hadith so from your the two of you understanding what is the the role of a man then do you mean in relation to a woman or in general? Both. Um, so so it, this this is the thing. Like I, so the, any anything I say now is going to be more of a general general sort yeah, of statement, only fine. because because I know like th there will be men who are just who are sort of very much on their own, right? Like even we have scholars of the past who just didn't marry, for example, um, and it's just them fending to themselves, and and it was it was their pursuit of knowledge that was their entire life. Um, but if I'm going to talk from a, you know, you, where you actually have custodianship of women, right, where you have, you know, for example, with me, I have my mother and my sister, I hope to get married at some point, so I have a wife, inshallah, um, or like, you know, if Allah blesses me with daughters, um, so it's, so I would, this is the thing, right, I, I, I look at it like this, if I, if I just look at it, it's just really like biologically, right, I mean, I, the thing is, I do CrossFit, so I see I see women outlift men on a daily basis. But generally speaking, men are stronger, right? We're sort of the, the idea is that we should be should have more endurance in terms of I don't know, conditioning or whatever. Um, and so, given that, it seems so strange to me that we're the ones who get to relax the most. Mm. And in that 
if Allah's given us greater strength, surely that should mean he expects us to have greater responsibility in terms of using that energy and strength. Why is it that it's women who have the lesser strength in that in that relationship that they they take up the greater burden? Right. So I think about that. And I just think what an absolute waste for me to be stronger than my mom, stronger than my sister, stronger than my wife, hypothetically, um, hypothetical wife rather, um, or have more endurance. But it's it's them who are having to pound for pound use more of their energy than I have to. Um, and so for me, that that just that that for me says Islamically. I should be doing more than they are. And if that means I'm working and I'm at home, then I come back home and I've got energy to spare, I should be working at home as well. Um, and you know, there's a great there's a great thing I heard. So I don't know if you guys are aware of something called um Omar series. Um so, and I, there's a great quote, and I'm not gonna um attribute this to Omar because I don't know how authentic it is. Mm-hmm. But the man depicting Omar and he was he he came to his aunt's house and he was sort of talking about his day and how hard his his work is and his aunt made a dua and said um may allah grant you easier work and what the man depicting umar said was don't ask allah to give me easier work but rather ask allah to give me a stronger body and and for me that i don't know why that stuck with me and I just thought that means like our responsibilities are our responsibilities. We just have to ask Allah to make us capable physically, emotionally, to be able to fulfill them um, to, the, to the best of our ability. Right. Um, and so to, to, I guess, to end this point, I think the, the point of men Islamically, especially in sort of the family unit, is to be useful. Right. And to be of service and i say and i say of service again because if we're leaders the point of leadership to, should be to serve and that's for me that's that's true in in politics in masjid committees in student societies if you're if you're in one and you're in a position of leadership it's because you need to you should be serving the people that depend on on your sort of leadership right yeah. um and then Allah calls us custodians. You you ask the question, what is a custodian? You that a custodian takes care and protects something, right? Like a custodian of a football pitch. What does what does he do? Right? Something as small as that. Like you take care of the football pitch, you make sure it's looked after. Like it's it's like it's good, it's it's nourished. Um, and so if we're custodians of women, then we make sure they're looked after, they're protected, that they're they're nourished, not just physically but emotionally. And so the role of a man in Islam for me then becomes it's a it's a, a model of service and um, taking care of the women in your in your sort of under your custodianship, making sure they're they're sort of nourished and and sort of protected and looked after, um, and then from that comes everything that you need to be able to do that to the best of your ability, um, and so yeah, 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 I do agree with that with that view, but. Um... I think I approach the this from a slightly different angle, and I'd like to share it. Okay. Um, so, when when you ask what is 
the role of men Islamically, you know, uh, I don't feel I'm qualified to speak about this. But anyway, um, I think as humans, regardless whether we're men or women, our role is to be servants of Allah, right? Um, And I think Allah has ordained for us different methods for uh, each of us to serve him. Um, And for women, it is, you know, they have certain tasks and roles they have to fulfill. And for men, we have certain tasks and roles that we need to fulfill. And I think that the sunnah of the Prophet um, made it pretty clear, or rather it, it gave us outlines for what um, men should be like uh, during during our lives. And when we look at uh, his sirah, we can see that, um, uh, you know, he, he always took care of the women in his life, but he always was gentle to them. Uh, you know, in the way he talked to them, he cared for them, he provided for them. Yeah. And um, and nowhere, you know, in his example, as far as I'm aware, did he let uh, the women in his life do all the work. Um, yeah. On the contrary, he seemed to be, you know, taking a lot of the responsibilities from their shoulders, um, as opposed to, you know, how the uh, Arabs uh, used to live uh you know, uh, during the time of the Jahiliya, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, for me, um, what a man should be, uh, according to Islam, is how the Prophet was. Um, and yeah. I don't know how to describe it better than that. What, one thing you touched upon, bro, which I, which I really agree with, is yeah. um, I think, I think so every, what, the, way, the way I sort of viewed it is I also always viewed it as a form of ibadah. Right. right in that this 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 is what i'm doing really man like i'm like you as if you just think about it like just face value you're really inconveniencing yourself right you could be doing other things that probably right. perhaps more fun Definitely. um but but it's it's for the sake of allah that you say that i i sort of think well allah put me in this world as a man well my first obviously my first purpose is, is his ibadah um, and ibadah isn't limited to salah and Quran and fasting, right? Yeah, it's um, and so for me, the, the way I view view this, it's it's also a form of ibadah. ibadah. So, for example, I remember, that, and this this the reason I started, I guess, sort of thinking about it in that sense, just um, a, a bit sort of um, I don't want to say sort of meta, but one of my one of my really good friends, he he asked me a question once. And he said, "What's the point of zakah, right?" And I said, well, to, you know, to help poor people so, you know, they can eat and they can have basic necessities. He's like, yes, but why do they need to eat and have basic necessities? And I'm like, well, because they're human. They need these things. He's like, no, but bro, like, why do we need to eat? Like, as Muslims, why should, why do we need to eat and have basic necessities? And the point he was trying to drive home was that if my belly is full and I have a roof over my head and I'm clothed, I will have greater focus in my ibadah. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to facilitate as muslims when we give zakat right and 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 he's a he's a person of knowledge he wasn't just waffling that this is him actually studying this um right. and so like us you mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so and so um yes and so and so that's how i view it like sometimes like when i when i just think okay me me being of service to the to the women in my life what am i trying to facilitate here if they're if they're looked after if they're comfortable if they have everything they need, I hope that what that will lead to is 
is them having greater focus in their ibadah of Allah, of them being the best Muslims that they can be. Um, and then that's that that you, you you know I would I would be like shocked if I didn't get a share of the reward in that. You know, a bit a bit selfish there, but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's yeah. So so yeah, it's that. So yeah, the, the point of point of ibadah, one hundred percent agree with you. Well, I'll add maybe another perspective to that as well, because like you're saying, for any boys men listening, that work that you finish the busy day of work, then you get home, then you continue the chores. Like I can't do that. That's too much effort. But uh, one thing, like Jordan Peterson talks about, and it's true, that the more responsibility you take on your shoulders, the more fulfilling your life is. Mm-hmm. So the harder you work, uh, the less time you spend, whatever, just laying on the sofa watching TV. Like if you push yourself to do that, then you actually you find, I don't know if happy is the right word, but like. Maybe you've experienced this side that having accepted this burden of like, I want to serve my family, that like your days are just kind of better in some way that you have a purpose. So like in the morning, getting out of bed, you're doing it for a purpose. Okay, I'm doing it. So of course, the main reason our intention should be we're doing it for the sake of Allah and whatever, but from a selfish perspective that when you take this responsibility, you say, okay, after work, I'm going to be the one that picks up the groceries. I'm going to be the one that does this. Like, I don't know. My personal experience is that your life is just more satisfying that you feel like at the end of the day when you lay down in bed and you've worn yourself out it's it's a nice feeling rather than yeah kind of a regret do you think it's a do you think it's a natural inclination to like i I don't know like i especially i think at university like man i was the biggest bum like (laughs) yeah like i would wake up in the morning some days and just decide not to do life I was like, you know what, I'm just going to order food, I'm going to chill, and I'll catch up on lectures later. And that was life for a very long time. Um, and, you know, su- surprisingly, you know, you, you know, that, that sort of stuff for me just led to just being depressed, like yeah. genuinely, genuinely depressed. Um, and I found no fulfillment in that, even though I was, it was, you know, from, from the naked eye, it, it's, it, it's chilling, it's fun. Whereas I guess now I have so many more responsibilities, so many more things to think about um and you know you i really feel that in, on, on my shoulders um but i guess about what in, i would still say mentally i'm in the best place i've been for ever um so i i don't know if that's a i don't know if that's a natural inclination that allah's put put in us to to be useful <laughs> and actually finding fulfillment in being useful um but yes yeah, so i don't know yeah well, I don't think it's... Uh, well, yeah, it's great to hear that you, it confirms what I was saying, that once you accept this responsibility, your life becomes better, that the guy that's living yeah. in his parents' basement playing video games, watching pornography, he's going to be the one that's depressed rather than the guy that's working 10 hours a day, 12 hours, then doing home chores. This guy's actually the, the happy, the lucky guy. But you're asking if it's a natural inclination. I don't think it is, but that's just the fact that Allah has created us with the, the kind of the human animalistic mm-hmm. side and then the spiritual side, so... At the end of the day, when you get home, the animal side of you wants to sit on the sofa and do nothing. But if you, yeah, when you overcome that animal side, just like you do with, with fasting or waking up for fajr, then, then that's what, you know, feeds your spiritual side. And I think that's what brings you the happiness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, I think so too. There was actually an, a military guy from Holland who proposed that everybody should make his bed uh, every day because 
even if you do nothing all day long, at least you've got your bed made. And that is a pleasure in and of itself. You know, it's a task, it's a burden, but it the burden brings the happiness. And I think that might be similar to what you're describing, but I don't know. Yeah, and it gives you a sense of control that that's what it's yeah. an expands on that. He says, okay, uh, first thing to do, make your bed because then that gives you control over one aspect of your life. At least, yeah, I've done that. Then after that, you expand out to your family your job what can you do to to make things to make things better and i heard something there's uh there was a guy who was uh i don't know he was a prison guard or whatever and said um i think he was talking about saddam hussein but also when i read about people like uh like stalin and some of these other figures like people you consider bad guys one thing they have in common is that they're really sloppy and lazy and don't take care of their appearance they're saying that Saddam Hussein, his cell was always just a complete mess. And I've heard things like this about, about some of the, like these atheists, scholars and leaders that their lives, their personal lives were complete messes. So yeah, once you start taking mm. care of your, your, your spiritual side, I think it, it makes you a better person as well. I don't yeah. know if there's anything you guys want to add, but something I was thinking about before doing this is like, uh, we're talking about masculinity and fulfilling a masculine role that some people think, ah, oh, I'm just a, I'm a skinny guy. Like, uh, I'm not cut out to protect people or whatever. Uh, like, how do I express my masculinity that I feel closer to women than I do to men kind of thing. But one thing I was thinking about, first of all, like you look at the Sahaba. Yeah. So Said mentioned Omar, he's like the stand up. You say, oh yeah, he's the man's man. He's the strong physical yeah. one. But, then you also have Osman and Abu Bakr who were less like that. They had other things to offer. So I think we have the the example. 100%. But also I was thinking uh, you can make the most of what you do have. So one thing I've done is taken, there's that 16 personality test quiz you can take and things, knowing what are your love languages. So if you're a husband, how can you best serve your wife? Uh, so knowing yourself and like, uh, your potential, what you have to offer. So I, my personality is came up as a mediator. So that's typically more women have this than men. So the way I can provide for my family is by taking these typically feminine jobs, like being a teacher and also uh, as a parent. The So if you go on the 16 personalities of the website and it, it tells you what careers best suit your personality, but then also it tells you things like as a as a romantic partner, as a parent. So... Like my role as a father or as a husband would be more kind of the the emotional support rather than like physical strength or whatever. Like my mm. wife is much more aggressive, not the right word, but I imagine inshallah if we have kids in the future that she'd be the one to, to discipline them. And actually I play the role of comforting them and saying, okay, supporting them. So there's no like one way to express your, yeah. your, your service yeah. to your family or... So you don't need to be the strongest guy or earn the biggest salary, but and yeah, I yeah I hear that man. I I do you know what? it's it's weird. I think with, so. I I sort of the the like I guess the the sort of the more sort of you say the 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 more feminine traits, right? I guess the more I started, so the more I started reading about feminism and um sort of sort of sympathizing with with those ideas, I I did start to sort of my natural sort of masculine inclinations i started to also sometimes just just dismiss a bit um and so 
it, it's weird. Like I, I, I have, so I haven't taken this test. I, I don't know what results it would give me. But for the longest time, I think I I might have fallen into that that mediator category, um, where. So, but but and having said that, even to this day, like if if we were to think about parenting, I don't know if I'd be the disciplining kind. I don't think I would be. Um, but I don't know. I just I just don't have that have that in me to just I don't know, like berate a, a small child. I don't think berating is like disciplining a small child in a way sometimes that you might sort of view as harsh. Um, but you know, you never know. But um, so, <laughs> so I, I guess I get I guess with me with me right now, I, I can only really think about about right now. I'm so yeah I started one of the reasons why I started going to the gym like a lot and now like compared to what I would have been able to do six months ago like I'm lifting crazy heavy um and I can and I can feel myself physically becoming bigger so I'm losing the body fat um and the muscle mass is getting bigger and I can I can just see this physical transformation happening and I feel stronger um and one of the one of my biggest motivators for that was to be as masculine as I could be um and in saying that and in a way where I know I'm currently the only man in in the lives of women and so for me what I ask Allah for is is to have that physical stature to be a presence and so they feel safe um and they feel protected or that I am capable of protecting them um and but in the in the same in the same regard i i just i just don't feel like i have that sort of aggression in that if i was i don't know like i'm i'm more of a sort of let's resolve this in the in the most peaceful way possible right like i i just i don't know i just don't have that like like oh, what what did you say to me let's fight um, you what, mate? I'm very, I'm very happy to let things go. But you know what? One thing I've realized in life is most things just aren't a hill to die on. You know, yeah. you can let a lot of things go, and your life will just go on normal. And you, when you think about that time, you just think, "Yeah, I'm glad I let that go." Yeah, I can relate yeah. to that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? Um. But yeah, I just I just think everything I sort of try to consciously dismiss in my sort of natural sort of inclinations of, of masculinity, I'm tr- sort of trying to like win that back now. Um, but again, it's it's not it's not something I'd, I'd fully sort of thought through. But in terms of let's yeah, so the gym that's really is that that's my biggest motivator currently. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's very interesting to hear that um, you kind of made a like a again a reverse thing that I did <laughs> because um when I was younger I, I really was caught up in these kind of toxic masculine you know archetypes you know these stereotypes about what it is to be a man you know Arnold Schwarzenegger Sylvester Stallone uh, even Bruce Lee you know uh, just you know be able to beat up everybody in the room be the biggest <laughs> baddest you know carry the biggest stick have the biggest you know um that sort of thinking really influenced by Hollywood and uh, cinema and everything also uh, Western culture in general you know at school you get teased for being small you get teased mm-hmm. for being beat up uh, beaten up and you get you know um, so the focus is very physical so as a kid and as a martial artist growing up I just had this idea that we had to be 
you know, stronger than the rest and, you know, uh, try to overpower the rest. But really it arises from a kind of insecurity because you know you're not the strongest because you've been beaten up before or, um, you know, other guys are bigger than you are. Yep. So I guess you try to overcompensate and then you become this really annoying, obnoxious, <laughs> toxic guy that I was. <laughs> um, but then uh, once you, um, especially when you look at, other cultures other than western cultures the archetypes kind of shift right if you look at the uh islamic culture we have a lot more um you know different kind of archetypes uh, for example our heroes are not always the guys you know we have heroes like um uh, like abu bakr uh, sorry like um uh sorry uh, uh what's the what's the name of the lion hunter i forgot his name um, um Khalid Ibn Walid, are you talking yes about? yes um yes so we have uh, people like him um and but we also have um heroes like our scholars you know uh, uh Ibn Rushd uh you know uh Imam Ghazali you know all these people are not warriors yet they are held in such a high esteem that I feel like if we had more of the eastern cultures in our consciousness that we could you know, shape ourselves to be more like those scholars instead of like just the warriors like the West wants us to be. Um, yeah. yeah, and I th and I thought that Islam really gave it gave me different kind of archetypes to to shape myself to, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, I want to comment on that. So, one thing Iskander and I, there's the other brother, brother M, we had in our group chat, and brother M was posting these kind of reclaim your masculinity things. So there is. The response now in the West to feminism going too extreme is okay. We have to, we have to learn to stand up for ourselves and dominate. And and Brother Iskander's response was mm -hmm. that the Prophet Sallallahu example was more nuanced and balanced than that. So, uh, first of all, I want to address what Said was saying about the gym. And Said's video, people who haven't seen it, was he learned that if you make dua with the right intention, that's when Allah will give you something. And I had the same experience with the gym. So, before being married. I was thinking I should go to the gym just because that's what guys do. But I didn't really have any other purpose beyond that. Maybe I'll make myself more attractive to find a wife, that kind of thing. But mm. it was only after I got married that uh, Wait, what? my intention... Huh? You got married? Oh, okay. <laughs> Bro! Yes. Bro! <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. we'll, we'll take this. We'll take yeah, this. Yeah, well, another time. But yeah, right. So... Sorry about that, Said. <laughs> uh, sorry, bro. No, sorry for interrupting. Yeah, go for it. But yeah, then suddenly it became easy. Before, actually, even though I wanted to go to the gym, like I didn't have the motivation, the means, whatever. I was waiting for someone to kind of take me under their wing and train me. But then after I got married, suddenly, like, my boss of all people offered, he said, come on, you can come to the gym with me. I'll train you out of nowhere. So there is a place for, like, strengthening your body and uh, mm -hmm. building up your stamina. But as Said said, the, the intention should be that you're doing this to for the sake of protecting your family, for serving your family. And uh, as Iskander was saying about the different role models, they're present there in Islam for us to, to follow. There isn't just one example. So there's something for everybody. Yeah. So again, I'd go back to like finding out what your personality type is. So what kind of job you can do best to serve the community, to earn an income for your family that suits what you are, but then also what type of husband you can be, yeah. what type of father you can be. And also the other one is the four love languages. So as a as a husband, as a father, how do you express your your love to your 
your partner, your children in your relationships. So like people think of serving as literally like doing the chores. Yeah. But there's more than just that because some people naturally their love language, like that's the hardest one of all. Like I, I possibly fall in that category that doing these things, cooking, whatever is harder for me, but there, there are other people who uh, spending time is more difficult or saying mm. uh, positive words of encouragement are more difficult. So, uh, so yeah. try and figure out like which one suits you. It's like, how do you best benefit your, your family? Cause maybe you think, ah, oh, by buying lots of gifts for my wife, I'm benefiting her, but actually better could be just spending more time with her, listening to her, listening to your kids, encouraging them, uh, yeah. The other love language is touch as well. So like uh, do you physical think, do you touch. Think, do you think taking taking this test really helped you? Because I'm very intrigued at the minute. Yeah, and I'd encourage everyone to do that. So you learn how to so like I know that serving, like I'm it's really difficult to motivate myself to to serve in like a typical sense of doing chores and things, but I know I'm much better at like giving time to my wife. So like yeah. if I have the option between oh hanging out with my friends or spending time with my wife, okay. I'd happily give up the friend and spend that time with my wife, just whatever mm. with her. Whereas other men, that's more difficult. Like buying gifts is much easier and these kind of things So figure out how you serve based on your personality. So like, uh, yeah. Uh, you, what about, but in terms of, so yeah, no, 100%, I think service can come in different forms. Yeah. Um, do you think that should be down to the, the best way that you are able to serve or the needs of the people that you are serving? Yeah, that's a good point. I think once you know your strengths and weaknesses that you can work on it. So like I know the reason I'm not good at this is maybe because naturally I'm not inclined to do it, then you can try and work on that. But in terms of like, yeah, efficient use of your energy, if whatever skill, like like I say, knowing your personality type so that you can, you're most motivated at work or whatever. or uh, yeah. But just being aware that like service doesn't necessarily mean, because like my wife loves cooking, so me telling her, no, no, sit down, I'll do the cooking. It doesn't benefit anyone. It's hard work for me. She's yeah. complaining because I'm doing it wrong. Like, that's not actually the best way of me uh, serving mm-hmm. her. Whereas what she needs is someone to to listen to her if she has any oh, complaints or whatever. It. I don't know if you guys have too much more to say. Um, I, Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess one thing um, I did just quick, quickly want to add is that uh, just bringing it sort of back to Islam, I think... Just especially from the theater, we have some excellent examples, right, of how we can sort of like what what is just just what what is being a good man. Um, so as much as yeah, like I've seen the positives of you know trying to be let's just say trying to be strong and and being a protector and having stature etc etc for for the sake of your family, um, and and of course that that's done wonders for me. Before it was all just a vanity project and it never worked. Um, in, in the same regard, I, I think it's super important to learn from the likes of Abu Bakr and to be soft and gentle and merciful. Um, and and I think we, I guess, the the, the point of men in, in that regard, then it's not just to be able to serve physically. And as Tom, you said, you know, spending time with your wife, that that requires, I think that 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 sense of softness and gentleness and and being kind and considerate and thoughtful. Um, and I think we can take examples of both sides from, from the Sahaba and try to sort of amalgamate them to form the best versions of ourselves, bidnillah. Um, but yeah, I guess that, that's my final sort of uh, point. 
Yeah, right. I think so. My conclusion, yeah, same thing. So, uh, just figure out based on your your character, your skills, your personality, how you can use that in a way that's like most efficient for you to serve both your your family, your community. One thing I wanted to also add is that yeah, you've mentioned there are guys that are not married or uh, guys that take a scholarly perspective historically, but there's another role that you can feel in your community as well if you're not married, uh, like younger brothers being a mentor to them because mm. I was reading a book about universities and uh, one of the best things a university can provide is uh, mentorship from the staff. So I got a quote from this book saying that one of the greatest determining factors in a student's or well, a graduated student's workplace contentment is whether or not they have found a mentor at their school. So being that kind of mentor also expanding beyond your wife, your kids, but also your community, your workplace, like younger brothers. So people who are not married, people who don't have kids, they can also play a role as a as a leader and a service person by just being a, a mentor to guys kind of below them, younger than them. So I think there's so much opportunity, whoever's listening, to be, yeah, to fulfill their role as a man, whether it's in the masjid, whether it's at work, whether it's with their parents, whether it's with their wife, yes. their kids. So, yeah. Definitely. So much potential. And also, I wanted to add that, um, or rather, uh, I wanted to mention Hamza when I said line hunter. So, okay, that that's oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and aside from that, I, I'd also like to, you know, I agree with both of your points, and I think they're really poignant in in the sense that um, I think it really gives them uh, people who are listening and me too, you know, really. A, a focus on how to lead our lives but I, I would also like to give a word of warning um not not about your stuff but about what i'm seeing online which is the red pill stuff and you know oh, well, yeah. i think a lot of a lot of it is really focused on the negativity and you know the they try to milk the hostility um, and the insecurity that exists between young men and and women and I, I don't think it's very healthy to wallow in that negativity all day long and then try to build a community around it. I think it's much healthier uh, to to be more positive about life in general. But I think that's that's more of a general advice rather than just for men. But because I'm seeing this trend, I'm kind of you know worried. Um, and I, I thought I'd like to share that. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things about being a man, of being a leader in Islam, Justice is essential. So there's a hadith about Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He sees a man and the man brings his son onto his lap and is playing with him and the daughter sat at the side. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam scolds him for saying that you're not being just to your children. So, yeah, being aware of your responsibility to men and women. If you have male kids, female kids, or boys, girls, whatever, that, yeah, you have to have also justice as well. So that, yeah, the perspective on women, as you're saying, is also important that, you don't look negatively on the people you're serving because you're thinking, oh, I'm doing more than you or whatever. You're less than me. So, yeah, having the right perspective is also important and doing justice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, if there's nothing more to add. Then... Yeah, no, the boys, this was, this was, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Then, yeah, this is a good time and place to wrap things up so uh any any books any videos that you guys have shared with me and i'll put them in the the description of the the podcast inshallah any books that i've 
read or uh, ideas that I've mentioned, I'll also put in the, the links as well. So yeah, send those to me and I'll, I'll write up a description inshallah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't mention it this episode, but there is a book, 44 Ways to Manhood, which is Islamically uh, written by Muslim. So I think it's really good, beneficial. So I'll, I'll share it with you. All right, great. So I'll add that into the, the description of the episode, inshallah. But yeah, enjoy your your Maghrib and your Iftar as well, if you're fasting today. And yes, inshallah, we'll do this again. Inshallah. Inshallah. Jazakallah khairan, boys. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please rate, share and subscribe to make it easier for others to join me on this journey, inshallah. Until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.